Turn with me to a few places that I want to address tonight. First off, First Peter chapter 5, and then we will jump around to a few other spots to kind of uh, lay the foundation to what we want to say tonight. I really, and I appreciate the other churches being here, I really do very much, but I want to be sure that I address the Cornerstone Church tonight specifically and preach to you. This is a revival that you're trying to have. Their sister churches have come in to help you and to pray with you, and that is very special. And I, again, would you encourage you that when they have their revival meetings, you return the favor and be a part of that. We need help. Uh, Brother Justin uh, and I serve on the executive board of our state. Uh, not a highfalutin board, just common guys, just common Joes on there, but we're trying to conduct the business of God. I serve on the mission board also, and uh, folks, I can tell you, we are struggling. Not to get churches started, that's a struggle. We are struggling to keep churches open. To keep churches open, it is heartbreaking. We had news today of another church. They're either closing or they're falling away into other areas that they should not fall into, and it's very, very dangerous. Of course, the Bible speaks in the last days there'd be a great falling away, wouldn't they? What are they falling away from? World, the world's not falling away from the world. <laughs> the falling away is away from God. Iniquity abounding, the love of many waxing cold, many giving heed to seductive doctrines of devils. Uh, people not enduring sound doctrine, keeping themselves, teachers having itching ears. I mean, the Bible's just full of this kind of stuff to tell us about what's going on. I've been encouraged to be here at the Cornerstone Church. I picked up on very quickly that there's a good spirit in the church. You guys have good facilities. You have good singing. You've got good fellowship. And, uh, and I think you probably get good preaching when he's not introducing pre preachers. He's probably doing pretty good uh, along the way. And so you have what you need. You have your God who can supply all your needs. But there are some things that falls on your shoulders and mine that are our responsibilities. And it is very, very important that we understand what is happening in the world that we are living in. I know, I know a little bit of what's happening in Washington, D.C., and I don't like it. I know a little bit of what's happening up there at the United Nations that we pour billions of dollars in year after year after year. And I don't like what I see there. I don't see, I don't, I don't like what I see of world governments coming together. And I don't like the compromising of convictions that I see in our nation that we have given up over the years. I don't like the decline in churches. We have fewer churches today than what we used to have. That's Free Will Baptist, Assembly of God, Southern Baptist. You can just go about to any Bible denomination that teaches the Word of God, and you'll see that there's not a great outpouring of God's Spirit upon the church. Here can be, very possible, but it's not automatic. In this particular verse of Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter 
teaches us that we need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. God in his timetable can lift us up. He can, he can, he can make dry bones live. God is able to do that. The only thing you and I have to do is humble ourselves under that mighty hand of his so that he can exalt us. He's not going to exalt us until we're humbled. Casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. And then the warning that's in verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. The Holy Spirit of God in inspiring Peter to write this particular chapter drew from the surroundings of mankind an illustration that we would well understand a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour you've seen the videos on tv i'm sure most of us have of a of a lion a tiger creeping through the underbrush just kind of watching there's the wildebeest or there's some other type of antelope whatever the case might be animal that is out there they stick up their head, they get a little scent, but they don't see anything. And there's that lion as they walk along, and all of a sudden, that roaring lion, while the prey is, is not aware of the lion's presence, the lion jumps on it, sinks its teeth into that part of its body, if it can reach the neck, that will, that will weaken that vessel and cause the blood to come out and bring it to its knees very quickly. If it can't get that part, if it's a hinder part or something, it'll sink its paws and its teeth in and hold on until that animal comes to, a ground, to the ground or to other, other lions or other tigers join in on the feast and bring that animal to its knees. The sight's not pretty at all. They kill it. It's kicking and it's killing it. They're killing it, the lion is. And as it's dead, the lion will sink his teeth in, begin to tear the flesh from off of its bones. When the lion's all said and done, all that's left is bones. This is a picture of what Satan is doing. He's walking about. Now, tomorrow, I'll give you a little heads up. Tomorrow, it's a very important sermon that I think that I'm going to preach. I believe the one tonight is. I believe everyone is. I believe any sermon is important. But I want you to understand something. There, is thing, there are things the devil knows about you that you would be better off if he didn't know. He knows your weakness. He knows what temptation to pull out of his bag to trick you. He knows the weakness of our young people. He knows it. He knows the weakness of the church. He knows it. The question is, how does he know it? How does the devil know what he knows about us? And how is he able to use that to his advantage to seek whom he may devour and then devour him? And by the way, we just well need to be honest about this. He has devoured many, hasn't he, over the years? I know free will Baptists believe that there's a possibility that we can backslide and lose our soul. I don't believe in backsliding, but I believe there is a possibility that a man can get in his life where he turns his back on God 
where he reaches a point where he no longer wants God to be his Savior. God gives him up. I believe there's a possibility that a man can lose his first love as the church at Ephesus did. But it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. How is the devil able to steal? I can tell you this. There's not a church, Free Will Baptist, Southern Baptist, put them all together here in Mountain Grove and the surrounding areas. If everyone that have ever professed Christianity down through the years was to, to thoroughly get right with God and be in church that ought to be, our pews would be packed out tonight. The empty pews are a sign of those that, in many cases, the devil is devouring. Right now, this very moment, right now, Satan has his eyes on somebody. He eyes me all the time. You know why? Because I'm a pastor of a church. Brother Terrell, we're the ministers of God. Uh, Brother Justin, the head of the church. We're not uh, head of the church. I probably shouldn't have said that. Christ is the head of the church, but we're leaders in the church. We minister, and when the, when the, when the thief comes in, who does he look to bind? The strong man of the house. Now, I don't consider myself to be the strongest person at Lettington Free Will Baptist Church. But I tell you what, I wouldn't have a preacher that wasn't halfway strong, who couldn't fight the battle, who couldn't roll up his spiritual sleeves and get in the heat of the battle and resist the devil and fight him off and have power with God in prayer. Because the next verse does tell us, let me read verse 8 again, be sober, be vigilant, that means pay attention, watch out, your adversary the devil's a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, so you can resist him, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren in the world. The God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now I want you to turn with me to a few verses of scriptures. I want to talk to you tonight a little bit. I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 37. Isaiah chapter 37, there's a verse there that I want you to read with me. Isaiah 37. I, didn't, I thought I understood this verse, and, but I didn't until a little thing happened in my life. I planted uh, years ago, years ago I planted, uh, I'd read about celery, and I wanted to grow some celery. I love celery. And, uh, and so uh, I got me, early spring, I got me these little pots, and I... I put some potted soil in there, and I put some celery seed in there, and I set them up on my windowsill and waited for those celery seeds to mature and start sticking their little leaves up above the ground. One week, week went by, and nothing happened. I'd go out and, and water it, talk with it, pray over it, greatly anticipating the celery that would come up. And that happened the second week and the third week. And I was getting discouraged. No salary wasn't coming up. The fourth week, one pot had one leaf. Well, thank God for the one. I, I told you I prayed over. I know this sounds stupid, but I never was the sharpest knife in the drawer anyways. I I was praying and talking good to the pots until the one stuck up. And so the rest of them that weren't sticking their heads up, I started bad-mouthing them. 
My kids who were young at the time, they were watching me a little bit, and I'd be, I'd be bad-mouthing the pots, and that one, I would brag on it, look, the rest of you ought to be doing what this one here is doing. Look at him. He's an example unto you. Went along and grew and grew. What I didn't know is that celery grows down before it grows up. What I was looking at, what I was babying, what I was taking care of was weed. I was <laughs> taking care of a weed and, and, and encouraging it and bad mouth. The celery was doing what it needed to do. It was taking root downward. This is the verse of scripture. It's found in Isaiah chapter 37 and verse 31. Look at it. And the remnant. And by the way, a remnant is not a large number. The remnant is always outnumbered. They're never the majority. That's why they're called the remnant. And Bible-believing Christians right now in the United States of America are becoming a remnant. Isn't that sad? Becoming a remnant. George Whitfield. Charles Finney, Jonathan Edwards, some of them men of God. Dwight L. Moody might come back and say, what happened? There was revival in the land. Churches were established. Universities were even built in the name of God Almighty. What happened? We are becoming a remnant. He said the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. Let me give you the truth tonight, something you already know. The devil is only able to pluck up that which has no roots. The devil is only able to snatch, devour that which has no roots. Because I don't think the devil can pluck anybody out of God's hands. And when you're planted in God, rooted in God the way that you are, I don't think the devil can touch you. He might throw everything, including the kitchen sink, but he cannot tear you down because God is able to keep that which you commit unto him against that day or anything else. Let me give you one of the saddest statements in the Bible. Turn with me to first or second Samuel chapter 23. A man after God's own heart is David. From the time he was a young shepherd boy, he experienced the power of God in killing a lion and killing a bear. And then he went on to the battlefield when nobody else would fight a giant by the name of Goliath. And he slew him and cut his head off while the rest of the Philistines took off running. He was a man of God after God's own heart. God loved this man. Finally became king under some very stressful type situations. Always was tempted to draw the sword against Saul, the king, the wicked king of the time. But he never would step into his flesh. And he always refrained from doing that. And yet, in the, pot, in the process of time, there was this terrible event happened where he went out one day when his soldiers went off to battle. And he remained home. And he went out on his porch. And he looked down below. And there was Bathsheba bathing. And he, she caught his eyes. He soon sent her, brought her to his, his room, and there they had this immoral affair. From there on, he had her husband killed on the front of the battle lines and lived with that for month after month. A man after God's own heart did that. 
when David decided to sink his roots into something else other than the morals of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the love of God, when he decided to let his heart lust after something other than what God had ordained for him, he become prey for the devil. I'll preach it tomorrow, what the devil knows about you and how he will use it against you and how he gets the power to do that. Here's what, here's what David said. He's dying. These are his last, some of his last words that he will speak. Of course, he has Solomon. He has, to, he has to set Solomon on the throne. But notice what he says here. Now, these be the last words of David. Chapter 23, 2 Samuel, first verse. These be the last words of David, the David of the son of Jesse. And he said, and the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of God. He's talking about how God blessed him, raised him up, anointed him of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. He was all of that. The spirit of the Lord spake by me and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me. He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. But you can rule if you're just ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun riseth even the morning without clouds as the tender grass springeth up out of the earth by this clear shining after the rain. This is what the man of God's going to be who rules in the fear of God, who's a just man. He will be blessed of the Lord. And then he makes the statement in verse 5, although my house be not so with God. Isn't that a sad statement? David said, I should have this great house. I should have this great ancestry of children following after me, serving the king. But my house was not so blessed because he had committed these acts of sin. David died watching his own child try to take his kingdom away from him. He's seen murder go on within his own family. Incest. Some of the worst of crimes and worst of sins. David said, my house, my home, my family was not so. Let's let that sink in for a little bit. Let me get a drink of water. Just let that sink in a little bit. When did it dawn on David that his house was not so? When did that happen? I can tell you this. It happened too late in the game to do anything about it. That's the sadness of it. David, sadness of his life is this. He lost the influence that he had over his family. He ruled the kingdom of God, but he lost the influence that he had over his family. Now, before I go any further, let me say this. Our children are responsible for themselves. I know the Bible says train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. I believe that verse of Scripture. But it still means this. That child has to accept the responsibility of the truth. They've been taught and they trained. They have to, they have to make their choices and they have to be willing to crucify their flesh repent before God and confess their sins and allow Christ have his way in their heart. And sometimes it's a long, long, long process for that to happen. Would you go with me to Proverbs chapter 27, I think. Now we'll stop here and settle in on this.
Jesus said this. What should a prophet man if he gained the whole world and lose what? His own soul. Well, not much. If he gains the whole world and loses his own soul, he, he has lost everything. But I can tell you this, folks. If I gained the whole world and lost my family, it'd be hard for me to take. Job, that man of God, feared God, excused evil, prayed over his children night and day, fasted over them. Just, just by chance they might fall into some type of mischief, he would pray over their soul. So he knew something. His children face temptations just like everybody else does. His children face temptations just like everybody. And I can tell you this, the children that are being raised in this generation today face more temptations than we ever faced in years gone by. By that, I don't mean, you can say it could be more evil, it would be more wicked. The trouble is, it's more accessible. It's more available. It's there. You don't have to run and hide out or get somebody to get something for you. It's just right there. Look here. The drugs are right there at the school. The pornography is right there on the phone, the computer. One man that I know very well adopted children. And three of the children had been come from a home where their parents had been in drugs and both of them had been murdered and the kids had seen their, their parents murdered. But they took these kids in and they start to raise them the very best they could and they sent them to school with the school promising them that the computers that they had were locked down, had passcodes, keys, that they could not get to sites, websites that they shouldn't. You know what? They did. We're dealing with stuff we're dealing with, we're dealing with devices today, folks, we're not prepared to handle, just to be quite honest about it. We can't even keep the thieves from getting into our bank accounts. Here's the verse of Scripture. Verse 23 of chapter 27. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks. Be thou diligent. Now that's hard work, putting effort into it, paying close attention, using every piece of faculty equipment and, and mindset that you can get and every bit of information. Be diligent to know the state of your flock and you look well to thy herds. Here's the promise. For riches are not forever. And doth the crown endure to every generation? No, it does not. The hay appeareth, and the tender grass showeth itself, and herbs of the mountains are gathered. The lambs are for the clothing, and the goats are for the price of the field. And thou shalt have goat's milk, enough for thy food, for the food of thy household, and for the maintenance of for thy maidens, if you look well to your flock, as a shepherd would. I've always been amazed at these farmers. I took the kids to, my kids used to love to go to the auction barn, and watch the cattle come in, we, and they would auction them off, and there'd be that guy down there, and, and they'd bring him one stock, and it might be one, or it might be several, four or five altogether, and, and he would look them over, and he would call out a weight, and that particular weight of that cow is how they would be start to bid on that, where they started the bidding. And it always amazed me, he knew those, he knew cattle so well that he could get just within a few pounds of what those things weighed just by looking at them. 
Can you guess how much I weigh? Don't. Well, you can tell I'm not a hundred something. Look well to the state of your flocks. Pay attention to the state of Now, I want to liken your family as a, your flock. Your family is your children. Your grandchildren, that's your flock. Or your family might be the flock in the house of God. Look well to your church. Know the state of your church. Know the condition of it. How many times have we heard about a mass murder? Now, by the way, all these mass shootings that we're getting are kids who are just barely into the adult world. Some of them still teenagers. Many of them 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24 years of age. Very young. What's going on? Why is this happening? Why is this evil setting upon us? Because we are unaware of how much power and authority we have let the devil have in this nation that we live in. Oh, we got a mighty army. But that army and those jets in the Air Force are not going to do a thing to stop the devil. The big bad wolf is going to knock on your door, and he's gotten very smart about it. He has transformed himself into a ministering angel of light to deceive many people along the way. And the trouble is most folks don't know the state of their their family. They made a movie out of a young man from Fredericktown, Missouri. His name was Terry Helvey. He, was, uh, he had come from a, a, a broken home for several problems, and he was raised by another family, and he was the same age as my son, Farron, oldest son, Farron, and he was a good basketball player. He was six foot four, but he was kind of mean. He was kind of honorary. I'll never forget one night uh, we were living outside of the town, and there was this partying going on. Just There was a kind of a kind of a lake and stuff just not far from my house, and there was a bunch of kids having a wild party down there, and Farron couldn't sleep, my kids. I jumped in my truck, it was midnight, and I drove down there, and I pulled up right in the middle of them. It's, it's a wonder they didn't just beat me up on the spot, but here come to me this Terry Helvey, and he knew who I was, and he said, I'm sorry. He said, we'll tone it down, and he apologized. He went into the Navy, Terry Helvey did. And while he was over in Japan, him and another guy, maybe three, I forget, murdered a young man who was a homosexual in the latrine. They made a movie out of him. There's a movie. You can watch it. He's from Fredericktown, Missouri, up there we're from. I know him. They were interviewing people when that murder happened several years ago over in, over in Japan, Okinawa. When that murder happened, they were interviewing. They had people that knew him from Fredericktown on the news, and they said, oh, he was such a good boy. No, he was not. He never did anybody's harm. Oh, yes, he did. He was a bully. Somebody didn't know the state of that young boy, so he could have been far different. One time he was just a little bitty baby. Sweet and innocent, pure as a driven snow. But in his upbringing, somebody didn't pay attention to the state and the way he started thinking, the way he got the reasoning. Why he? Do you know? You know there are kids who come out of grade school who are bitter and angry. I served on the youth camp board for several years as, and uh, 
And these kids, these, especially the kids that came out of St. Louis, when they come out of St. Louis, they were just, they were so bitter, they didn't want to be a camp, they didn't, they didn't want anything to do with camp, and our hands were full. And I'll never forget one African-American child. She, she couldn't have been seven, eight years old. She wasn't very old at all, and, and, uh, and the sponsor couldn't do a thing with her. And they would, they would deal with her, and they would bring her in. And meet. Now, look at here, I can be a tough guy when it comes to kids. I put on my sandpaper look. And I set her down and I told her what she was going to do. You know what? She looked at me and said, she wasn't impressed. I'm not going to do it. And you can't make me. I can call the police. She told me that. I backed off. <laughs> I told the sponsor, I said, just normally we would send her home. But we, the state of this, you can't let a kid be raised like this. Why are all the shootings on the streets of Chicago? Or the streets of, why is that going on? Why every week in Chicago are there 20, 30, 80, 70 people being shot every single weekend? It's not poverty. We had a dear sister here last night that was 100 years old. Now, you want to talk about poverty, she lived through poverty. The Great Depression was poverty. That wasn't what was causing people. What is causing? It's the bitterness. The taut anger, the threats that are made against policemen and other people along the way. We are doing something horrible in our nation, folks. And I can tell you this, up in Washington, D.C., because they look at money as the cure to all the problems, don't know what the state of our nation it's in. Know the state of your flock. Is it growing? How many of you raised your kids at home and you started sticking their little heads up against the corner of the door and you put a little mark there and, and they're, they're two feet tall and then they come back a few months later and you put another little mark and they're two feet, two inches tall? If they're not growing, you want to know about it, don't you? If you don't, if they're not mature and if they're not, if their physical body, something's not going on, you want to pay attention to it. We have a granddaughter named Sadie that was born a preemie baby. How much she weigh? Two pounds, 11 ounces. I can eat that much hamburger in one time. Two pounds and 11 ounces, and it was constant. The nurses would have her, and they would watch her. The doctors, every single second on the clock, they had her hooked up. Every, how much oxygen she was taking in, how much her heart was beating, whether she was digesting her food, everything about her body. They knew, and it was an amazing thing to watch up there in Children's Hospital in St. Louis. That was, how old is she? Six? She'll be six in October, and for years she was just not a very good immune system. We had to watch for her. COVID was very scary with her around and everything. But I can tell you what, she's a little stick of dynamite right now. Now, she's growing all white physically. Her dad, her mom, her grandparents are concerned how she's growing spiritually. Is she taking root downward? Because she won't bear fruit upward if she doesn't take root downward. Let me tell you one of the worst mistakes that's made in the church world. Well, my kids in church, I think they're all right. We lose kids that are in church. 
Don't ever think just because your kids go to church, well, everything must be all right. Well, they're saying everything's all right. That's not what you're looking for. Do they have a reverence for God? Do they have a love for God? The writer in Thessalonians put it this way, Apostle Paul, and the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. Why does a heart have to be directed to love God? Because it's drawn by every other temptation along the way. Let me tell you, the devil's job, he, he doesn't care if you commit a sin. He's not trying to get you to do an act of sin. He knows Christ has died for the sin. What he's trying to do with the temptation is get you to want something, desire something, fall in love with something more than God. We lose kids at camp. Preteen camp, my goodness, they flock in. But then we start getting to the teens, and the 13, 14 year old, 15 year olds, not too bad. But 16 year olds, 17. You go to teen camp and you will find a handful of 19-year-olds. There could be 400 teenagers and there'll be a handful of 19-year-olds. You know why? We got to make money. Oh, now look at your teens. Don't get. You need money because mom and dad ain't going to dish it out for you all the time. I can tell you that. But they do need money. But money's not the most important thing, is it? My grandson, I got a grandson that just got accepted to be the running back. He's a freshman in school up in DeSoto. He's going to be the starting running back for the varsity football team as a freshman. Now, he's already been to the Oklahoma uh, Sooners uh, tryouts. He's already been down to Florida for tryouts. And there's tryouts, tryouts, tryouts. And somewhere along the line, it wouldn't make me mad if he is drafted and he's a professional running back and he makes about $10 million a year and decides to share just a small percentage with grandpa and grandma, that'd be all right. But I can tell you this, me and Kathy have talked about this, we understand it. He will suffer greater temptations by being good, by being successful. Oh, by the way, if he, becomes, if he becomes a good running back, he will become popular in school. He won't have to fight for a date like I did. That's dangerous when you become popular. See, I'm aware of that stuff now. I'm not going to wait till it happens and get, become aware of it. You wait till you're... I asked this guy, asked me a while back here at, at church, he said, what kind of tires you wear? And I just said, what? he asked me what kind of tires I had on my car. I said, may pops. He said, well, he said, I don't think I ever heard of them. I said, that means they may pop any time. <laughs> There's a reason you get your car inspected, isn't it? Now, I don't like all the reasons, but I gripe about it every time I go. But look here, you want to be sure your brakes work. You want to know the state of your car? Your brakes work. Why? Because when you go to hit them brakes, you want them to work. Amen? You, you, want the steer, you, want everything, you want the tires to be usable. You want to check everything out. And I'm telling you, we're not good at it when it comes to our family. Now, listen to me. I, I'm going to try to bring this thing down to a point here. I watch my family like a hawk. 
I know the spirit of my household. I know when my kids, my kids gather in every Sunday to eat at my house. They've been doing that for decades. The, we weren't there this Sunday. You know what they did? They gathered in our house to eat. They don't need us there. It's just where you gather and eat. And that's fine. But when they come in, I watch, every, I watch my three sons. I watch my daughter. I watch their spouses, my grandkids. I watch her. Now, she's a little bit easier to read when she's in a bad mood. It's a little bit easier to tell. But I can tell. I can tell where my kid's at. I watch them in church. When there's a hymn, when you're singing a hymn, are they singing? Are they worshiping? Are they... You want to know the state of your flock. Because it'll make you pray differently when you do. I was pastor of DeSoto Church for nearly 30 years. Uh, good, strong church. I, it's, it's, it's just been a great church. Before I ever was there, the pastor before me was a great pastor. Brother Charlie Miller, some of you might have known who he was. Great evangelist. Man of God. Built a good church. But I could see my church in the last 10 years, then the last five years, and boy, when the COVID hit, I could see the DeSoto Church starting to struggle. I had one deacon who told me, he said, he said, Bob, he said, I can't tell you why, but he said, I quit. He said, I don't know why. Now, he didn't have to tell me he quit. I knew he quit. He's a good man. He loves Jesus. But spiritually, he had been drained from battles within his own family and things like that, and he just got in a bad shape. We had the most perfect day at DeSoto back in November 2nd, 2008. It was the perfect day at church, just perfect. I got up November 2nd. Now, you never know what kind of weather you're going to have November 2nd, but I got up Got up that morning, and I lived just right close to the house, and, and uh, I, I, got, I, I, I got out and started, I just walked to church, the sun was shining, the birds were chirping, it was just a beautiful day, and, and just a great time to be in the house of God. I got down there early, now DeSoto, Sunday school was 9.45, and people would arrive there before 9 o'clock, they just started arriving early, and gets fellowshipping and doing things, and, and uh, we, was, we was there fairly early, and, and I walked to the back vestibule, and a woman came in the door, and, and she had this big smile on her face. Geraldine Gilbreth was her name. And we had been trying to get her, her uh, brother and sister-in-law in church. And she had this big smile walked in. And she said, Bob, Brother Bob, she said, said, you won't guess who's here. And I walked over to the door, and the particular entrance where she came in has a long ramp that goes down right straight to the parking lot. And I looked in, and there was her her brother that we was trying to get in and sister-in-law coming in, and they was coming in. And as I looked up from there, I seen, I seen an elderly couple start to pull in where we had some parking cones uh, to save for uh, people who needed that, and he had bumped up and was hitting that cone. And this one man had let out his wife right there at that particular spot, and she said, I'll get that cone. And I told her, I said, no, I said, it's too dangerous, let me get it. And so I started to walk down that ramp to get that cone, and she walked out around him, uh, the elderly couple that was driving the car, and she came up on the sidewalk, 
And when she did, the man in that car's foot slipped off the brake onto the gas pedal and slammed her right into the building. I thought he had cut her in two. And I had my hands on the front of the car. Just I thought he had gotten me too. That's how close it was. He couldn't get his foot off of the gas pedal and the, tire, the engine was just running as fast as it could. Tires were sitting there spinning and she's pinned against that car between the car and the brick church building. People on the inside had heard the big bang. By the way, she was a sister to the couple that was excited to see there in church. Finally, I went around and got a hold of her and was holding her up and praying her. And finally, some men worked with the, the, the gentleman in the car and got him backed up. They backed him up across the street, and he had a heart attack. He was in a state of shock. They backed him up across the street, and while I was holding her, and I'm not going to the details, but the blood and stuff was just pouring down. And she said, she said hold me, Bob. She said, I'm, I'm, I'm falling. And I let her down to the ground. Now... What was going on during this time as I was praying, her husband had just parked the truck. He didn't even know what happened. And he came over and he said, what's going on? And he seen his wife. And boy, he just got down there with me. We have one guy who was a chief of police that Kathy worked for. He took his belt off and put a tourniquet on her leg right here to kind of keep the blood from just pouring out. And we worked and worked with her. Now, I didn't know what was going on. I had no idea other than I had this woman in my arms praying with her, thinking she's going to die right there on the spot. When the paramedics got there and they took a look at her, they said her leg she'll not, will not save it. It's going to be gone. They got her, got her, on, a, got her on, the, uh, on the ambulance, took her over to a helicopter where the helicopter landed and took her up to St. Louis. I got up, and of course I had blood and stuff on me, and I went into the church. What I didn't know was this. At this particular time, the church was just being a church. We had men out there calling for the ambulance, directing them. We had men directing traffic. We had women helping others who were, were struggling. Some of them were passing out from just the side of the scene. We had, we had, we had the people who called the ambulances, directing traffic. When I went inside, I walked into church, and when I went through the, and it's a long, long church that the Soda Church is, and I had this blood on me. When I walked in, I seen two people up here. One was a woman, and she was reading scriptures, and another was a man, and he was leading in prayer, and they were singing some songs. And I walked down the aisle, and I got up to the front of the pulpit, and I stood in front, and I looked at my people, and I said, I can't preach today. I said, I've got to go to the hospital. You folks go home. Go home and pray. And I left. When I got up to the hospital, there was a lot of church folks there. And what I didn't know, what I didn't know, is that those folks weren't going to go home. What was going on right now was more important than anything going on that day they had planned. They didn't care about who was going to get to the restaurant first or what time the church was going to let out. They didn't, they didn't care if somebody had not shook their hand that morning. and made. They didn't care if the heat was on when it should have been the air conditioning. They didn't care about anything else other than the need of one of their sisters in Christ. They wouldn't leave. They would not leave. 
They stood there in that church. They stayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And they prayed up to the hospital. And that woman went through one surgery after another. To make a long story short, three months later, she come walking in the church and walked up to the pulpit and sang for Jesus. That woman and her husband died last October. Within a half hour of each other, they got COVID. They went into the hospital. They was there a week. Horrible death. And they couldn't do nothing for the woman. Doctors told her that. And, and uh, they, had brought, they brought the two of them in together, uh, one here and one in the bed next to each other. And they laid their husband and wife holding each other's hands knowing that he was going to say goodbye to her. And they had said their love things and everything else. The family had to stay outside, couldn't go in rest, but there they, bed to bed. And the doctor came in and said, and we can't save him either. And so we don't know what, what you want us to do. We believe we can prolong his life a little bit longer. Well, the man wouldn't have it. He said, I'm going to heaven with my honey. He said, if Jesus is taking her, he's going to take me too. They died within a half hour of each other. And he died first, by the way. That precious moment of those two holding hands, dying in the arms of Jesus without fear, moved a family that had been very hard before. She needed to live to that moment to die and not the earlier one, so it could have an effect on the family. The church is really at its best when it's under persecution. Did you know that? The church is at its best when it's in need. The church is in its best when it's not caught up in the cares of life and things that we think are so important. What's the state of your flock? Uh, me and Justin have not touched, uh, talked at all. I think I know a little bit about the state of this church. I like it. But I can tell you what, you take it for granted, and you will lose it quick. You know the state of your church. Your church needs prayer. What do you need to do? Pray. Somebody's needy in, in the church, and somebody's dropping out. Show some concern. Go visit that person. Don't let somebody fall by the wayside with nobody caring. Get to them. State of your family. What's the state of it? Watch it like a hawk. First of invitation. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flock. David messed around and messed around. And somehow or another lost his influence over his children. Tragic. It's spiritual warfare with me every morning when I get up. You know who I pray for more than anybody else? More than anybody. I pray for me. Because if I'm not right, my prayers are not going to help anybody else. Right, Justin? I, I pray over my soul. God, help me not to be arrogant. Help me not be blinded to who I am. Help me to see myself as you see me. And then I start praying for my wife. 
Does she need it? She absolutely needs it. I can tell you that. You try to be a pastor's wife, you'll find out she needs it. <laughs> Don't she, Sister Eden? She needs it. Tough enough just being a wife, but a pastor's wife. I watch my kids. The devil is seeking my children. He's actually got his hands into them a few times. But I'm going I'm to put up a fight. That's why we need revival. Somebody's got to care. Somebody's got somebody's to do the spiritual work that needs to be done so that the devil doesn't get the advantage. 